Hello, everyone. This is Manal, and I'm so excited uh, to speak uh, with Adam Gus today. And I'm super excited because this is the first um, conversation I'm recording as part of the Human Connection podcast, Polyvagal Informed Conversation. After having so many of them and getting excited about it, I decided to make it available for audio listeners. And so you could take us anywhere you want to go. Um, so uh, welcome, Adam. Oh, thank uh, you. Thank you for having me. Yes, uh, we met through um, uh, Michael Allison's uh, Play Zone um, a training course that was part of the PVI um, offerings. And uh, we hit it off with Talking Polyvago. So um, what I know about Adam, he's polyvagal informed, which is, that's why we're here having this conversation. And you do somatic drumming. And that's just two words that seems fascinating to me individually. But together, it's even more intriguing. So... Adam, how are you today? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm excited to have this conversation. I mean, I think a lot of us who were uh, meeting through the Polyvagal Institute and Michael Allison, we got into this work and we realized just how universal it is. And one of the, my favorite things about it is how different people from different backgrounds and disciplines, how what they bring to the table when looking at the nervous system this way. So, so let me uh, make the question polyvagal specific. How and and huh. this question is is more personal than you could take it to your professional work. How did it um, influence or inform uh, the theory? How did it inform your personal life to begin with, and then professionally? How did the theory inform my life? Well, I. Had an injury and uh, traditional means of healing weren't working for me for the yeah. longest time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how a lot of us came to uh, learn about polyvagal theory is we kind of hit a wall with traditional uh, medicine and we had to look for other perspectives. And yeah, that's when I found uh, somatic experiencing. I remember first reading uh, The Body Keeps the Score and that really blew my mind, this kind of bottom-up approach to looking at healing and then a somatic experiencing. And then I found out that the kind of the nervous system groundwork for somatic experiencing yeah. was polyvagal theory. Yeah. So in your own words, uh, not Dr. Porges, not Michael, what is the polyvagal theory? Uh, yeah, it's a... I think describe I, it? I, I think it, that's a challenge for each of us. <laughs> yeah. And even in fact, that's what I think uh, the Polyvagal Institute is trying to glean from these courses is like, how do people talk about this yes, in different disciplines? Exactly, and, yeah. and for me, I really see it as this, uh, this resilience coin. It's mm -hmm. looking at resilience in terms of performance and healing. And I think, uh, you know, it, I've always grown up thinking there were two different things. And now that I understand this model of the nervous system, according to Dr. Porges's work, I see how the nervous system looks at them as very similar. Like the resources we use for high performance are very in alignment with the same resources we use when we need to heal. Yeah. So it's so yeah, it's just, it's this kind of connective tissue between performance and healing. Oh, I love that connective tissue between performance and healing. Can you say more about that? Because that kind of there's a lot to unpack in this this short sentence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It sort of begs that question. What do you yes. mean by that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so that's what I found out from the work I did with my therapist and somatic experiencing. I noticed as she was helping me to kind of connect to this lack of connection I had between my brain and body. And as it was reconnecting, I was I felt this healing happening. And I also noticed I was playing better on the drums. And I was like, OK, what's up with this? Why? You know, it's like, how did how did, is this connection between healing and playing better happening? And now that, you know, years later, uh, understanding this model of the nervous system, it makes sense. In fact, the course that we took the certification we did is in performance and wellness. Yeah. So it's sort of baked into the way we were learning about it. And so that's why I was so excited about Michael Allison's work is because finally I, I see this like completed template of this connection. Because I think they've been separate for so long. Uh, oh, yeah. I think... Uh, uh, 
the magic, at least it's magic for me, uh, of the yeah. political theory that it's putting this science into the the experience in that we have. So it's really, uh, and it's nothing um, new. It's not a new invention. It's not something, it's just learning about ourselves more and that's how we are connected. So um, I, I, I thought, so if you would uh, kind of explain or, or illustrate the, the different states, you know, everyone is listening. So at least we would have a, an idea about polyvagal theory and the states, ventral, sympathetic, kind of, uh, and a dorsal, and they go into survival or uh, safety. In a drum beat, how would either of those sound? Oh, they're very akin to tempo. Okay. And so, yeah, yeah, we learn a lot about heart rate variability and bradycardia, yeah. terms for how heart rate and breathing are related and how heart rate relates to emotional state. Yeah. Well, that's all very synonymous with the tempo of a rhythm we're playing. Can, yeah. can, can you give us a bit of a sample, even by voice or something? Just yeah. Because I do a lot of also uh, putting play a playlist on different states, and I know a lot of... People working with the polyvagal and music, we love putting that playlist. So it's like, uh, it's like, okay, what would a ventral sound like on a drum? Yeah, yeah well, the, the sound <laughs> is going to be another element of it. For now, we'll talk about the tempo, which is okay, kind of yes. 60 to 90, roughly 60 to 80 beats per minute, which is kind of it's like 80 is right about here. 60 is kind of, so it's just one second. And so any tempo that's right about there, it's kind, of, it's kind of relaxing, calming, it's socially regulated. And then when you start branching out or creeping up into 90 to 120, that gets a little bit more into the play zone tempo, mm -hmm. that slightly accelerated, activated, but still connected and grounded in social engagement. And then when you drop below 60, then that gets really kind of lethargic and uh, can even make you sleepy, like ballad tempos and... You know, so that's because there's something called entrainment, which mm -hmm. is uh, in a dance movement therapy. I'm sure you, you know, come across this term, this idea yes. how the tempo that we're experiencing from the in outside in affects our heart rate and oh, affects yes. our mood. And so, yeah. And so, of course, that affects drummers. I mean, because we're playing the tempo and dancers. So. Yeah, that's uh -huh. it. it, it could be very obvious. And I could have thought about that or uh, made the connection of that heartbeat is that uh that tempo is the is it kind of is it it is the ventral because that's and a lot of people would call it heart space or you know heart centered but that's like that it it feels very soothing and i think that comes from the heartbeat which is a sign of life to begin with and it's uh yeah it's it's interesting and i'm i'm, I'm looking at the heart as a drum of of some sort, which is quite an interesting, uh, I'm getting all these kind of. <laughs> oh, it's the origin of drumming, I believe. Oh I was fascinated with the whole biological evolution, you know, studies that we did, learning like how the kind of connection between the vagus nerve and the brain evolved from single-celled organisms all the way up to humans with neocortexes. And this evolutionary process, I kept looking at this timeline and thinking, where was the first drummer? You know, this is this question I think I'm going to be interested in the rest of my life. Like the first human that picked up sticks and it made a, you know, use the materials in their environment to create a tool that could broadcast their emotional state, which is their heartbeat. And like, yeah, who was that person? And so and that inclination that we have as human beings to play drums is completely based on our heart. Like, I mean, yeah. whoever that person was, uh, maybe six 60,000 to 120,000 years ago, somewhere in there, you know, that person felt these rhythms inside them and wanted to share them with their community. And the, the drum was their tool for that. Yeah, I think that drumming is one of the most ancient, as you said, instrument. And I, and I, when I talk to people about movement, uh, so to speak, it's also an inherent thing that we have. It's not something that we cognitively think of as, as, as babies. We, we move. It's a sign of life. And, and I would tell people when I'm explaining dancing or moving, it like if you give uh, a, a toddler or not even a toddler, a baby who's barely just standing on, you know, holding a table or, or something, and you give that baby a beat of 
you'd find that movement. We're very connected with with that. But uh, but I love the idea that the first drummer was trying to um, kind of imitate that drum, that heart heart rate, which is a ventral um, a ventral state. And it's soothing. That's I think we all want to go back to to that. But it's also um, with drums. There's this kind of energizing and going to a play zone or sympathetic that has always been you know used in different contexts, whether it's war or celebration. Yeah. So let's talk about a bit of a history of the drumming and and see how the polyvagal kind of. So how, from your um, experience, how, it, what do you think the progression of drumming, how is it, um, or where did it originate or something? I'm, I'm not yeah. finding the exact question here, but I'm intrigued yeah, well, to hear more of what you have to say about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I'm in the, still the discovery process. Absolutely. It's been a few years since the class I took. And that's when the question first occurred to me, mm -hmm. like, who was the first drummer? Mm -hmm. And when I really, what's most interesting to me about, the, about this question is you can't Google it. There's no information about this person. And so you'll kind of have to come at it this from different angles. And there was this uh, TED talk. I really like Dr. Melanie Chang. She talked about how we're using computer modeling of the nervous system to go back and try to understand how humans evolve because mm. skeletal remains is what we had been using and they just leave so much to the imagination you know it's like it really that soft tissue is so has so much to do with how we evolved as humans but of course we can't study that because it's all gone <laughs> yeah. so i mean we were basing all these ideas on human evolution of skeletal remains but it's really the you know the vagus nerve and the nervous system that is such a key point in this when that's really what inspired drumming in particular and and so when i compare that first drummer to how we teach drumming now and see how systematized it is and how just the heart is removed from our drum education systems that's really like wow where did that happen you know how did we come so far from why we play drums to this hyper academic technical cerebral focus on our drum education systems and so i've and and again from the class we talk a lot about descartes and the cartesian dualism and this point where i think therefore i am in this breach between the brain and the body and really privileging having this kind of dominance hierarchy of the brain over the body and i think that's a was a key point where we lost this connection with why we play drums why we play that uh, we spoke about this uh when we uh, before um, today, uh, recording um, about you know drumming education and and me as person who doesn't know anything about that, I would al always think of a drummer as uh, that fear spirited kind of like rock and roll who doesn't go with the system, doesn't want to obey by the rules. That's my image of a of a drummer, and I was interested to hear that you're talking more about, you know, that it's not like that in the, um, in the drumming educational system, which is quite an interesting, um, disconnect. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's always kind of, I think rock stars or whatever, this kind of icon of music, they always try to portray themselves as either you have it or you don't. There's a little bit of, it's just sort of the PR <laughs> for musicians that, oh, you know, we're they're there, whoever they are, or we are, are above these other people who can't play music. And I, d I don't agree with that, but I understand it's, it, 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 that's kind of what a rock star is, is somebody who, oh, they have something that other people want, that they, you know, and that's why they're an idol, you know? And so they, I think that disconnect is sort of ingrained because from my education in drumming was hyper academic. I mean, I had a teacher when I started and I learned through books. Mm -hmm. I learned to read music. I went to jazz school at a prestigious institution. And I've just always been kind of systemic or academic in my pursuit of learning drums and bought educational videos. And then I feel like those of, I mean, I can say this looking back now, I think I'd turn my nose up at people who are self-taught. You know, which is maybe the person that you're describing. Mm 
you yeah. know, like, oh, that person that just picked up drumsticks and started playing, you know, they're not an academic or a learned, yeah. you know, like I am or so, you know, and it's like, I, that's, I, that's absurd to me now. But yeah. I think that person probably is more connected with why they play drums than I was, you know, and I had kind of had my injury force me to relearn that connection, really. So, so let me ask you if you want to teach drumming in a poorly informed uh, way, if how would you teach it? How would you go about? Uh, and I'm not t talking about tearing down institutions and systems and all that, but as Adam, if you want to be teaching uh, drumming, what how how would it look like? Yeah, well, I don't want to tear down anything. I just yeah. want to supplement. Yeah. Yeah. So I look okay. at it as I think like there's not much more we can even add to a cognitive perspective of drumming. But I think okay. there's a whole lot of somatics we can augment and supplement what exists already. And so that's what I would want to do. And so I mean, you, I know you're interested in or uh, you bring dance movement therapy into your practice. And I feel like that's something that's very much missing from drumming. I mean, the first thing a drummer does, put the stick in the hand. And you put, you know, you have the stick rebound off of the drum or off of a head. And right off the bat, you're kind of losing just how we want to move in the air already. So my thought is first, just figure out how to make a straight line in the air. Because, I mean, if you, if, you, if you try to move the stick and you do this, the moment you hit a drum head, it's just going to make it worse. And so just kind of first the somatics of movement, which is, has a lot to do with kind of how the shoulder and the elbow and the wrist and the fingers work together. And so just kind of the basics of movement away from the drums and then heart rate and breath uh, practices. I think that's very important. Being able to have this composure internally to maintain a steady tempo. I think that like basic somatic movement and consistency of emotional kind of composure, staying in that regulated, you know, uh, social engagement state and knowing where your parameters are, the window of tolerance, this idea that we kind of have expansion and compression. And when we expand beyond our tolerance levels, that's when we rush or that's when we use metabolic resources inefficiently. I think like these kind of these three principles of like knowing where our boundaries are, maintaining composure internally and somatic movement would be something that would really augment so the hyper cerebral drumming systems that exist today. Yeah, it's what fascinates me. And. Uh, about all this is again as my impression as looking at as, as uh, at a drummer because you need a lot of coordination and maybe because I'm I'm an incoordinated person myself it just my brain goes all, all over the place but it it seems to me for a drummer or I think uh, most musician but for drummer for especially is that you need to really be present and listen and be aware. And that to me is being, you know, in the body. But from what you're saying, that doesn't always happen. It becomes uh, um, kind of a technique that it's disconnected from the body. How is, again, how did that happen? How, or, or maybe it's my impression that it's, um, that is kind of, I'm just looking at the visual, not what happened yeah. to the person. Yeah, you're spot on. I think it's a kind of an epidemic in education in general. Again, this disconnect would happened with the I think therefore I am and really trying to remove sensation and emotion from the equation, kind of the idea that it's not truth or somehow subjective emotion strays us from finding what is objectively true. And now we see how backwards that is. Even neuroscientists are like Antonio Damasio are saying, oh, my God, like, you know, the emotion comes first and then the brain interprets it and processes it. And even people who are focusing on the brain are now focusing on the body. Yeah. And so, yeah. 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 And I think in education in general, like education has focused on the system before the individual. And so whatever is best for the system gets privileged over what's best for the student. And there's a lot of uh, research that's been into how that's happened. And so a lot of progressive academia, there's uh, the Thornburg Institute and ungrading, and there are lots of principles, uh, flip classroom. There's all these progressive ways of looking at education that are really fo student focused versus institution focused. Oh, we could have a, a you know, three hour um, talk, you know, <laughs> yep. podcast yeah, I know. the education. And I think this is what um, the um, in 
the polyvagal is bringing the, and the newer science of it is it's really absurd. Our education system is absurd. And it's absurd even more to me that it's even affecting um, art in New York drumming. And it's, which should be like, where, where did humanity go wrong with drumming? That it's something that it's very innate in us, that it uh, would not, uh, it's something that cultures all over the world, um, I'm, I'm sure in each part of the world before there were countries, there was someone drumming because yeah. that's, I think that's, so maybe you'll find a, a bit very tough to find the first person who did it. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't ever intend to find this person, but I feel like the search yeah. is really going to en kind of enrich and inform how I want to teach drums. Because the reason that that, what, whatever evolved in the nervous system that led to that human playing drums whatever that switch from before and after that's i want to use that to know better how i can teach drums because that connects more with why we're playing versus why you know our teacher is doing what our why we were taught the way we were taught yeah yeah it's uh, and i think drumming took again i probably um based on the temple and and uh whatever it was happening it was used to celebrations mourning war so, uh, in in all kind of states that a person might be in kind of cheering uh, there's drums so it's all of um uh yeah it's it's, it's such a fascinating it, that you know the drumming um has evolved as as the nervous system evolved i love that yeah. And drumming is such a reflection of culture and it's kind of a barometer. I would even say it's kind of a canary in a coal mine in a sense, like <clears throat> wherever drumming got separated from the body is where culture got separated from the body. <laughs> I feel like for yeah. drumming to be disembodied is like the least logical thing in the world. Absolutely. It's, like, yes. it's such an embodied instrument. We use our whole body. It takes so much cognitive power to play it. And whatever point we lost that understanding, okay, well, something went wrong philosophically, you know, global. Yeah, right. especially that you, you talked that you, uh, um, your education was in, in jazz drumming uh, specifically. And what little I know about jazz is that it's improvised and it's not does not fall, and please correct my ignorance if I'm uh, mistaken, does not fall into like classical or, or it's, um, it's very intuitive and improvised. I think that's, that's the word is my, yeah. is what I know is correct. So that's even double down on the absurdity of it. <laughs> yeah. So if yeah. you want to talk about jazz education, how did it go from an improvised, um, body-based, kind of feeling-based to what you're speaking about now? Yeah, that gets very delicate. And I'm just right. beginning to understand how delicate that is because it gets into race. I mean, oh. when I look at the history of who the first drummer was, I can't help but think about the history of the drum set because it was around the 1900, 1920, this era where all these cultures came together in New Orleans, especially, mm -hmm. and brought all these different percussive influences from around the world. And slowly this instrument evolved. And mm -hmm. so to really dive into the evolution of the drum set is to dive into how did these races, you know, come together. And uh, talk about, talking about that in education, particularly in America right now, is a volatile issue. Yeah. And so I and so I need to be very careful to to, to dig into this because it's like uh, it's funny. Yeah, I want to talk about embodiment, somatic movement. I want to talk about heart rate, and you know, and uh, all these different comes in, into drumming. And people are like, yeah, okay, I'm on board. And like, well, if we're going to talk about emotions, we need to talk about the emotional context of sort of racial integration in America in the early 1900s. Like, wait, hold up, no, you know, it's like, okay, walls come up, you know. Yes. So I, so I'm still unpacking how to even have this conversation. Really. Yeah, it, it, it's it. it it could be yeah it um but i'm thinking that as at least that's my personal experience not related to drumming specifically but the more i get in tune with my own nervous system the more i'm in tune to to the outside world 
and um, injustices and things that are going yeah. out in the world, kind of, um, 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 I, not that I'm feeling it more, but I, I am, because my system is, I, I get to know it. I got to know it even more. So when something happens and I get that sympathetic or kind of dorsal shutdown of, ooh, it, it feels like something my body is telling me something. And I, um, one of my really uh, great teachers, I um, called Paul Linden. He's really a body-based um, practitioner. And he says ethics is something you do in your body. And I think that's, mm -hmm. That's something when something is not right, it's something our body tells us. Our nervous system knows that this is not right. It shouldn't be happening, whatever that is. So yeah. I think that it's it you cannot really separate the the kind of curiosity of wanting to like, why is this happening? Why no one is talking about it? And I do get that sometimes with the best intentions. Things like you said, walls come up, and um, there's that defense of like, just maybe if we can get to curiosity, it's like, how did that happen? And that's curiosity is a ventral state, which is not yeah. might not be oh. av available all the time. <laughs> yeah, even social and emotional learning now is another element of progressive academia, and uh, and it's very based in polyvagal theory. And we're realizing, wow, it's like something that used to be innate in humans growing up and being socialized, being curious and being social and emotional. Now, I mean, we have to actually teach that in school. Yeah. And so the social emotional learning aspect of drumming, a trauma informed lens of drum education. These are things that I've been looking for somebody to teach me. And now after being searching for six, seven years, I realized that I am that person. Like, yeah. okay, I, I, I mean, if I would have found that person by now, you know, <laughs> I yeah. think like what I've noticed is, especially in the polyvagal world, it's like, oh, it's been well established that mm -hmm. drumming is influenced by polyvagal theory. This is nothing new. And I'm like, okay, where is it in the drum set world? You know, if it's so well established, where is it? And because I don't see it, I would have found it by now. So I feel like there's hand drumming, there's a rhythm to recovery, and there's a rhythm bliss. I know there's they're bringing polyvagal theory into the kind of hand drumming drum circles, but mm -hmm. there is a there's a bigger shift from like hit playing a drum with hands to tackling this monster yeah i think uh, i think you you say it correctly this monster i look at it and i wouldn't even know how to begin but give me a small drum i'll 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 just kind of uh play play on it and i think that's the the kind of the drum uh, drum with has so many different names in different parts of the world it seems to me at least more accessible and I don't need to be taught how to do it. But when it comes mm. to a drum set, no, there's now we're dealing with an instrument of music that you can't um, do that. But yeah, we I think we always end up being teaching the things that we want to learn about the most. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so so, but you you mentioned um, trauma informed drumming, and that's quite a an intriguing thing. So. Are you talking about um, playing the drums in a polyvagal informed or teaching, uh, you know, uh, drumming education in a trauma informed way? Yeah, a drum uh, drum education lens using trauma informed techniques. Okay. Uh, my partner is an educator. She's she's a professor mm -hmm. at a college, and I know we've been able to bounce a lot of ideas off mm -hmm. of each other. And I've learned about a lot about education from her, and she's learned a lot from me about this work. And I really feel there's this this union, this sort of blood like relationship, you know, <laughs> blood relative relationship between trauma and learning. You know, like we yes. we have to be able to learn about those the parts of us that we're not comfortable with. And I think like the drums are such an incredibly great resource to do that because it's, a, I, lo I love uh, Peter Levine's idea. He talks about Medusa's trauma and like if you stare right at her, you turn to stone. But mm -hmm. if you have a resource, then you can kind of find your way to overcome 
the Medusa in your life. You know, you like you can't stare straight at those traumas we have. But if you use a tool like the drum set to find out where they live in your body, you can use somatic techniques to work with that. And yeah, how, how does that look like? Or uh, and for if any of uh, our listeners is a drum, is in drum education or music education in general, how do, would that look like or sound like? Yeah, well, tension is a red flag that okay. there is some unrest. There is some overwhelm that happened at some point in your life that resulted in imprinting your biography on your biology. I heard this term from Betsy Pollitt and I loved Gosh. it. Like any tension we have in the body, there's a reason it's there. And if it's serving us, great. But if it's not serving us, why is it there? And what would our life like be, be like without it? And so really drumming and like these, so there's sort of the bottom, like legs to arms coordination, there's left to right coordination. And then the real one that brings up tension is right hand to left foot, left hand to right foot. So those are sort of the three levels of coordination for drummers in terms of unison. And so finding out what tension happens when we start playing around with these different coordination levels, then like, oh, for some reason, when I go feet to hands, there's no tension, but when I go cross lateral, you know, then there's, there's a tension there. And so we're relaxing that tension. Some things come up. I've been practicing and like trigger, like memories, memories will be triggered because they're living in this, because I'm starting to amp up the stress that I'm putting on my nervous system. Some mm -hmm. drummers said, oh man, drumming's fun, man. I don't like you calling it stress. I'm like, dude, look at it from the nervous system's perspective. What we're asking of it, you know, it's stress. You know, I mean, it's all, you know, well and good to think, oh, a drum is fun and I get lost in the music. But it's like, no, from the nervous system perspective, we are asking a lot to, of our nervous system and we are putting stress, we're overwhelmed. And the more we ramp that up, the more we find out where this tension is connected to possibly things we don't like about our history. <laughs> I, th I think what it's so fascinating, and I love Betsy, and I'm, uh, I'm, uh, we we are in trying to get a time where we say we'll have a conversation together, but life seems to get in the way. But we will have that. I I love her work, and I think it's yeah. very um, simple. To, so. Um, but uh, there's something that you've mentioned uh, here about, yeah, we were talking about how did it get disembodied? Because now when you're talking about this, about tension as a performer, when you're asked to play for hours and if you're playing every day and you cannot, afford to say oh something is coming up there is tension let me tend to it there's going to be that need to override that tension until that tension gives up and becomes numb and you don't yeah. feel it and that's that's an interesting way of uh, of looking at it and i would i would assume you'd find a difference between someone who's like it's a it's a hobby that you get on the drum set and you play and you sense tension, you get up versus a professional drummer who would has to do that day in, day out. But I love how this is kind of making it the map of looking of what's happening. Yep. That is fascinating. Yeah, and it's, I've, I remember in one of Betsy's books, she talked about one of her mentors who would go to a ballet and she would lean over to Betsy and say, the, the dancer on the far left is going to stumble. And like three seconds later, she would stumble. Mm -hmm. And Betsy would be like, how could she possibly know? And I've, I'm just beginning to get a window into that. Now that I, we understand, you know, polyvagal theory and this, this map of how the nervous system works, there are certain physiological cues that are like, oh, that person just kind of went beyond their tolerance level, you know, either in the face or the shoulders or something in the mm -hmm. body. And then that's how you can predict. Like once they exceed their tolerance level, something bad happens. And so when I've noticed, been, I've noticed it more and more in myself, even to the point when I see old videos of myself now, I'm like, oh, that was 2018. You know, like I could just tell like where my body was from year to year, especially like right before I did my 
train our therapies and somatic experiencing like the year that year <laughs> was all kinds of shifts in how I played. And when I start noticing that change in myself, you know, we're all use the same nervous system map. You know, I start noticing it in my students and other drummers. And then I start thinking, oh my gosh, this drummer 10 years from now is going to have respiratory and heart problems. I mean, I can't not see it anymore. You know? yeah. It's, uh, it's fascinating. So what would be your resources, uh, to get your body, um, in, a in a regulated state while drumming, um, for example. Yeah, well, the, I like the idea of sweep, then mop. Like before you even get to the drum set, uh -huh. try to get to this level where you at least have some composure, get rid of whatever is stressing you that day. Like first try to just know where this range is, where your window of tolerance is, your social engagement level. Like just know if you're even there or not. And I think that's something that a lot of us don't have. I noticed like I uh, from the polyvagal uh, training we did, we did the week on breath. And I remember that week blew my mind. And I mean, after I was done with that, I immediately did get the certification and oxygen advantage to become a breath facilitator because I just like, oh, my God, I was completely backwards on how I saw the relationship between oxygen and carbon dioxide. And so I, I think that'd be like sort of the foot in the door for drummers, like just understand how the breath affects heart rate, affects how our tissues and brain get oxygenated, like just that basic understanding. And then um, The Actor's Secret by Betsy Politan. Yeah. I feel like of, of all the books I've read so far, that is like the blueprint, I think, of like just basics of how to get into that point where we can even start fine tuning how we improve as an artist. Yeah, that's I haven't read the artist. Um, uh... I haven't I read a manual, uh, manual, which oh, I, yeah, they, yeah, uh, it's, it, it's, uh, it's absolutely. So, um, when we were, before we hit record, you got up, got some toys <laughs> to play and I got so intrigued about you. You kept, you know, getting things that I don't know what they do. So, um, do you have something to play? We could. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some toys. Yeah. I mean, this is the perfect segue coming from like how, now that we've swept, now that we've sort of checked in with ourselves and yeah. know where we are, how do we start disc like fine tuning, like mm -hmm. our body to be able to play well. And so the first thing is to understand that these are tools. That's I'd say like it, in terms of the, the evolution of the you know, human over time to become a drummer, like there is something between when humans develop tools and humans develop linguistics. That's when the drummer happened. Like, cause this is like, doesn't understand that this is a tool and this is very human. This the drumstick. Very, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. just for that, for our listeners who are not watching. Oh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm holding drumsticks right now. Yeah. And so the more I thought about this, wow, this is such a connection with our humanity. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, hominids couldn't use tools, you know, and but so like even just having a stick in our hand immediately brings us more in touch with our neocortex. And so being able to have this finger individuation and be able to move the stick with just our fingers instead of the whole arm, that is a human movement. So when you see drummers play this way and now I'm moving like the whole from the elbow, this yeah. is kind of a reptilian movement, like a reptile could do this. And so mm -hmm. now here I'm moving with just the wrist and this gets a little more mammalian but when you get into just finger individuation for a tool use that is very human and so we're using the somatomotor cortex and that is keeping us out of our lizard brain and so that's sort of like the first way to sort of check in a somatic marker that we're you know not regressing into lizard brain yeah I, so, I, I don't have drumsticks but i have a pen and i'm uh, i'm thinking you know we a lot of times when we are trying to think we, we we i at least i do this hold a pen and kind of um play with it so that's a quite a uh, yeah and go on i was just oh yeah <laughs> oh my gosh the homunculus there's this model of how the relationships are between the different parts of the body in the cerebral cortex that uh, that in, like, brings about movement. So, I mean, our attention to our hands and our face is like 60% of our sensory information. 
Like, so the homunculus model, he has this huge face and these enormous hands. And yeah. so the point is anything that can really focus on the individuation of the fingers and uh, in-hand balance, which is the thumb, first, and middle finger uh, relationship with this. So for drumsticks, it's sort of balance, it would be moving from here to here. That's mm -hmm. in-hand balance. And so that's one tool. And then the next thing that happened, I think... I think there's this relationship that a lot of drummers miss, the idea of lizard brain and lizard body. So most of us have understand the idea of what lizard brain is, you know, mm -hmm. where we go into fight or flight and we lose access to the cortex. Well, the same thing happens in our body. We start losing access to these parts of our body that make us human, like our fingertip mm -hmm. sensitivity. And that's when like sort of the cues for physiology come up that uh, are evidence of a red flag that we're in fight or flight. And so one, something my students seem to understand, like imagine a firecracker went off in the room, you know, what would you do? You would, your shoulders would come up, your, you know, facial expressions would pull towards the nose, the head would lean forward. And so any of those cues that happen while you're drumming are evidence that you're probably regressing into lizard brain. So I love this, this is $12 on Amazon. It's just a little neck brace. Mm -hmm. And so I put it here. And so I just start playing, I've pulse my neck against the back of the brace in tempo. And so if already that's a form of regulation with the vagus nerve, just that sort of rhythmic kind of forward and back motion. And then I was like play and anything that I do that interrupts this motion, I know, oh, okay, my body mm -hmm. just froze. Anything that interrupted that, that's something that I need to work on and be able to pulse this way. And then I focus a lot of attention on the back of the neck and feeling the brace on the back of the neck because that's where all the sensory nerves from our limbs come up the back of the spine. And that's the kind of the last conduit before it gets to the brain. Mm -hmm. So focusing yeah. sensation on the back of the neck is important. And so just doing this and feeling it. And I notice anytime I start leaning forward, I don't feel the brace on my neck. And I'm like, okay, why did I lean forward? That wasn't voluntary. That's obviously a cue that I'm going in, you know, going outside of my tolerance level. And so then, well, there's all these kind of different braces. So for the shoulders coming up, I wear this brace to kind of focus uh, attention on sensation there. And then there's myotape that I put over my mouth and I put between my eyes. And so any kind of little fluctuation in the mouth, I feel the tape pull and any fluctuation in the eyebrows, I feel, you know, the tape here. And so some people say, oh, well, that sounds mechanical. You know, we were trying to be a machine. But my response to that is, no, I'm just gathering sensory information. I'm noticing yeah. what do I do on the drums that's bringing about physiological cues that I'm going into stress that are only going to be exacerbated when I get on the big stage or in the big recording awesome. studio. Yeah, so it's it's cultivating awareness. And, so, and, and because for, for a long time there... There's a lot of movement that we became numb to it, and Felding yeah. Price practitioner understand that you know uh -huh. uh, uh, Hannah Somatics work understands that, and and bringing um, kind of external textures like the neck brace or the tape makes it more obvious, and right. that's even um, you know it's like when someone is holding your hands or something, you'd be able to feel it more. Um, so that's, that's quite interesting of cultivating it. So let me, let me ask here. So, um, let me see if I could put this question, uh, in a way that it could be, <laughs> uh, understandable. So, okay. So would you be able to tell, uh, for yourself as in playing, if you're playing the same kind of rhythm or tempo, when you are in the tension-based sympathetic kind of survival that, you know, burnout kind of, that gets us to burnout where versus be, playing in the play zone. Or do, can I feel that? It, are you in a place where you could feel that? Because some, what I'm, well, why I'm asking this is some people would think that to be able to drum really with a, with a faster tempo or just kind of be coordinated in a quick manner, you need that tension and you need that hunched and you need those clenched jaws, um, which are all kind of physiological uh, indication of a survival sympathetic. Mm -hmm. um, could that be done on a, in, in a regulated ventral 
play zone state. I feel like it has to, mm -hmm. because something we've learned from Dr. Porges is the more of a sympathetic response or state that we're in, the more inefficiently we're burning our metabolic resources. Mm -hmm. And so although in the moment we might get this adrenaline rush and feel this energy mm -hmm. over time, if you have to play a two hour show, you can't stay and fight. The second half of that show, you're going to be burned out metabolically. And it's interesting because, you know, we're in such this Instagram culture of drumming where you just need to get 30 good seconds. And that really <laughs> opens, you know, that really opens uh, drummers up to being in fight or flight because, man, I just got to get that 30 good seconds. Oh, I got it. Okay, now I can chill. But in terms, you know, looking at that from a professional standpoint, it's the complete opposite. We, we need our worst 30 seconds to be look good on Instagram. <laughs> you know, we need like that full two hour show. It needs to be good from beginning to end. And we can't be burning our metabolic resources like that. There's a quote by Wadi Wydell. I love it. It's so good. He says, you know, that part in the song that gets real exciting. Don't get excited. That's what makes it exciting. And I was like, wow, that's it. So like, you know, there's this part that's going to push you and that's going to elevate the audience. When you're coming up on it, you actually have to relax more and let the emotion mm -hmm. go into the music and not put it here. Because if you get excited, oh. you're going to rush. So, okay. Yeah. And that's like, that's really, I think what it's about, knowing where that window of tolerance is so that when that push comes, when the elevated piece in the music comes that really tests your resolve and, you know, the energy that you're going to put into it, you have to stay in social engagement, you know, in ventral or else you're going to either rush or you're going to burn your resources too in, insufficiently. Yeah, because, yeah, that's um, the even the creativity is, is a ventral uh, emerging property of ventral. So even with that, um, how, OK, so how can you imagine uh, the first drum drummers, not not historically, but in a jazz band, how do you imagine them regulating their nervous system or staying within that window of tolerance uh, to make them be able to last kind of play for hours and still produce amazing sound and not be burned out? If that exists, I don't know. But how would you imagine it existing? Uh, yeah. Well, there are so many great tools that can help with, you know, learning and understanding jazz that are very cerebral. And I just feel those need to be tempered with somatic tools. And a lot of people would say, oh, well, what about all of our great icons? They were a lot of them were drug abusers and had horrible lives and were obviously in fight or flight all the time. And then I would just say, well, their lifestyles were reflective of that oftentimes. And a lot of great musicians died early and a lot of them had horrible personal relationships because the same, I've had a lot of folks tell me like, oh, well, I use my adrenaline when I perform. And I was like, oh, well, how is that in your relationships? You know, how is that in your sleep? You know, how is that using adrenaline to overcome adversity? Does that work with your partner? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it takes its toll. It, yeah. You might use it in certain elements of performance. But I think if you really want to have a well-balanced life, I mean, we can't rely on uh, adrenaline. I love this um, quote, uh, Katie Hendricks says, imagine a world fueled by oxygen instead of adrenaline. And I just like, wow. And I imagine that world, like that's the world I want to live in. And that's the community I want to live in. And I've had to accept that that's had to separate me from some people that I love and care about and had amazing creative relationships with. But I now I realize, okay, I just can't kind of co-regulate with how much you use adrenaline in your life. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that's, and you know, metabolically, it's costly to be able in fight or flight to be able to perform for hours. So the body is already depleted. There's a lot of things that are, it's, it's a high cost for, for yeah. our biology. Exactly. So imagine that after that, uh, having to do it over and over, there ha the body has to compensate, has to find something to regulate somehow. And for, unfortunately, many individuals who are, uh, and musicians, we we know hear the you know the the stories of 
uh, so many of them, they don't have that regulation thing mechanism in their life to be able to kind of able to do that sustainably. Yeah. And we 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 know it has to be done in um, different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's a, quite an interesting way of looking at life, isn't it? The polyvagal theory, and it's not huh. something new. That's I I heard someone uh, say the other day in some context. It's like you know, polyvagal theory is trying to be in everything, but but it's it's not it's not an invention. It's not a new gadget. It's it's a representation. It's a scientific representation and explanation to what is happening with us in our body. And it's as long as we are human and we are relating, it's it's just putting uh, you know words to what is happening um, already. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's I've really noticed an ethnocentrism when science view of polyvagal theory, especially when I did my TED talk. I've noticed a lot of scientists will look at, say, yoga or martial arts or other cultures way of regulating their nervous system as alternative medicine. And I was like, well, it's all I mean, you take polyvagal theory and apply it to martial arts and yoga, and it's the same model. It's just a more kind of Western scientific view of it. I think it's, so it's, yeah. it's 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 the blueprint of any healing modality there is because it's all about the nervous system. <laughs> Yeah, that's, right. That's the thing. We are calling it the polyvagal theories. I think so we can have a shared language, but it's it's just the nervous system. We all have that. So yeah. uh, as we're coming to the end of this, um, to me, very fascinating conversation. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, man, it's um, been so great to connect with you. Thank you. How do you see, what would you like to see in the world from that lens of the polyvagal Um in whatever, in drumming or, or or otherwise. Well, man, this quote just comes to mind again, like a world fueled by oxygen. Like yeah. if we even know what that means and know how our body uses oxygen, we still have like healthcare professionals thinking that carbon dioxide is a waste gas. And this that complete inaccuracy is I think the basis for a lot of lacking understanding of how central the breath is to everything that we do and how that influences heart rate and how heart rate influences emotional state. I mean, yeah, I mean, the breath is really the foundation of it all. Yeah, just some basic breath instruction in first grade. Like, yeah, I mean, all this research on how much people (laughs) overbreathe and the horror of terrible effects that has on development and children. And uh, yeah, that's the shift I would want to see baseline. Yeah, I think uh, body education as in how we are in our body is is yeah. essential. Uh, in biology classes, we, we learn about what is the digestive system, but we don't know how we feel it. We don't know. We learn about the bones, maybe. Uh, but we don't have that sensory experience of like, wow, these bones and tissues and muscles and tendons and fascia all get together and we could do amazing stuff. It's that yeah. awe and wonder that that uh, being in a body and human is, is. And we take it so much for granted, like breathing. We we take it for granted we're breathing. And, and, and thankfully, we take it for granted. We don't have to pay attention to it. Otherwise, we'd, <laughs> we yeah. can do nothing in life. But yeah. kind of the paradox of it that, and I think especially with the nervous system work and polyvagal, that it's it's very simple in, uh, the, in not intervention, but in our, what we need to understand, it's quite simple, but it's, uh, but it's really not easy to do. And some people would feel like, oh, we need these complicated concepts and interventions and and medical things that to in order to heal and um and 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 be well. But it's actually very simple. Yeah, there's such a yeah. And 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 we need to just be aware and understand how our system works. Yeah, and I think it's important to understand this conflict of interest in healthcare. I've been fairly 
active in uh, the Sound Health Network and Performing Arts Medicine Association, trying to find anyone getting research done about polyvagal theory and performance. And there's, I've just heard over and over again, there's no money for it. Yeah. And so I, re I finally found six and a half, $6.7 million in vagus nerve research uh, was given from the uh, National Institutes of Health. And I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. That's so cool. What's the research? Medicine. They're trying to find pharmaceuticals and electrodes that can stimulate the vagus nerve in particular ways. And I'm just like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> I mean, if that isn't like right there showing like this, you know, this conflict of interest between capitalism and healthcare, you know, industries. You know, I mean, I mean, there's just, and so, I mean, a lot of attacks of polyvagal theory, oh, there's not enough research. It's like, well, there's a reason there's like no investment because it's going to actually reduce the need for medication and surgeries. And yeah, that's in conflict with yeah, capitalism. Uh, uh, that's uh, so true. We, <laughs> we'd need ourselves and our, each other as humans. And because of the power of the social engagement, it's not about a pill or a flower or, or intervention or surgery or yeah. whatever uh, those things are. But uh, we're, we're, we're getting there because I'll, I think a lot of people in, in different fields uh, have the same story as you have of the hang having an injury. Something is not working in their life, whatever it is, a physical or mental or psychological uh, injury and not finding the answers. And then the, uh, the answer is within us in understanding yeah. how we are, how we function. It's such a, a great gift that I'm so grateful for polyvagal theory and Dr. Porges for bringing that scientific language into it that, yes. you know, martial arts, uh, yoga, ancient cult traditional traditions, all cultures have had yeah. that a uh, healing modality of some sort, but because of the scientific world we live in and I, that right. evidence-based kind of um, thinking exactly. as I eliminated it and yeah. called it uh, alternative, like you mentioned. Well, Adam, this is, has been a really a fun uh, for me, and I'd love to one time hear the kind of the drum. I don't know if you have these resources of just... I'd like to listen to the differences of the nervous system in tempo and playing of like, oh, yeah, this is how a person in sympathetic flight would feel like. I don't know if that um, happens. Uh, but punk I'd rock. Not what? <laughs> punk rock. Listen, listen to punk rock. And you know, that's, that sounds to me like a person in sympathetic. <laughs> so, so, so let's, before we end it, let's put, play this game of music genre and, uh, and nervous system states. How would you ca categorize them? Um, I feel like reggae is kind of on the dorsal end. Like, ding, ding, ding. like I don't know, that kind of slower tempo and a lot of space between the notes. It has this kind mm -hmm. of will feel it lower and then and like hip-hop 85 bpm that has like that's kind of a little bit more ventral and then anything like 80s rock or like up-tempo punk rock definitely gets a metal <laughs> heavy metal that has a little bit more of a sympathetic uh sound the timbre of course we learn about timbre of the voice and how that affects emotional states so yeah the timbre of instruments um affects also just how it's felt in the body. And then there's, I'm super fascinated with embodied cognition, which is this neuroscience of how the brain interprets sensation being sent to the movement centers of the brain. And so that's a whole, I, I hoped in a year to be able to speak more about that. Oh, well, that, that we'll have a conversation then. Jazz blues, where would they uh, fall on the uh, nervous system stage? Well, that's what's beautiful about them is that they run the whole gamut. Okay. There's there's slow, there's fast, there's mid. I feel like those styles of music in particular really are able to express the full human condition. And that's why they're less popular because people, people are more comfortable in their one little, you know, the spot that their comfort zone is like, oh, give me my bass drum at 120 beats per minute. You know, that's what I'm comfortable with. And yeah. Yeah. That, 
That's that. So if you want to have a, a nervous system uh, state journey, go with uh, jazz and blues. <laughs> yeah, well, blended states, I think something that, yeah, expresses the full, you know, kind of gamut of the human condition. I feel like that's becoming less and less dynamics and popular music are almost gone. Yeah, yeah, I think that music is really a reflection of how narrow a tolerance we have for shifting emo and blended emotional states. Yeah. So do you um, do you now look at music um, art in through that uh, polyvagal lens and yeah. look at someone playing is like oh they're in that state or this is the state? You yeah, I, well, I just I feel it. I I, I honor the feeling first before I honor mm -hmm. the judgment. <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah, that's it's how it makes you feel. Well, Adam, again, thank you so much. How would people find you and um, where they, yeah, how do people find you? Oh, adamgust.com. Uh, adamgust uh, forward slash speaker is kind of the site I'm most proud of right now because I've realized I have to become a better speaker about this. I'm not confident, so comfortable being a speaker or even like pursuing that discipline, but I just feel like, wow, I, I need to get better at communicating this. And so thank you so much for this opportunity to speak about this, because it's really the work that I want to do. Well, I hope uh, a lot of people listen to it. It's been a, a joy. Uh, and I can speak for hours uh, about polyvagal theory, but we'll, uh, we'll have to end it now. Yes, and people <laughs> need to see your conversation with Michael Allison. It was so good what you brought out of him or together what you shared in that. It was very well done. Thank you. It was, you're welcome. Thanks a lot, Adam.